You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. All right, well, good morning. Uh, If we don't know each other, I'm I'm Nick, I'm the pastor here, and uh, I love being together on Sundays with you, but I especially love being together with you on Easter Sunday. So good morning. There is no day I can think of where that statement is more true. It is a beautiful Easter morning to be together. And it's beautiful because of what we get to remember, but it's also beautiful because what the Lord has done. Be with us today in our potluck, be out in creation, enjoy this beautiful weather, enjoy what Christ has done for us. Now, as we get started this morning with the, with the message, I want you to take a moment to think. Think about a moment in your life that marked a major transformation, a major transition for you. Think about something that, that changed you forever, right? Maybe it's that letter that said, you're coming to U of I. You're going to be an Illini, right? Maybe it was getting your license in your car, right? And the freedom that that, that afforded you. Like, I am a new person. I can do what I want with all this freedom, right? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it was a, a dating relationship, right? Or a graduation or a wedding for those of you that had those life experiences. Whatever it is, think of a moment that transformed things for you, that changed your perspective, that altered reality for you. Things were different from that point on. You know, a lot of, a lot of moments come to mind as I was thinking about this this week, right? Of course, there's when my wife Amy said she would marry me, great, and then we had our wedding, and that was great, and then and she shared the news years later that we were pregnant with our son, Nathan, and then years later, they were, we were going to have a daughter, Alyssa. There are times that really marked off something was changing in me. My life was changing forever, but I also, I remember graduating, right? I remember graduating from undergrad and being very excited but very concerned, right? Having this conflicting emotion, not knowing what to do next, right? Now, for those of you that are quickly approaching graduation, maybe you haven't stopped to think about this, right? But for up until that point in my life, somebody had always told me what to do, right? When to be at school, what classes to take, what I was supposed to sign up for the next year, right? There was a schedule set for me. There were guidelines. And with the newfound freedom of graduation, I had dread and I had excitement. It was all up to me now. And for me, that was kind of an existential crisis. I wondered, what what am I supposed to do? And why? Why should I do that? Why should I get a job? Why should I, you know, buy that car? Why should I move? What, you know, all these different questions I wrestled with. Did I really want a nine to five? Did, Did I want to live that life? Did I want to try something else? What was the Lord calling in my life? Now, I frame that in because these moments can be both really exciting or they could be moments of concern or or dread, right? Uh, Sidebar, for those of you that are graduating, if I just freaked you out, don't worry. We're going to invite you to a lunch. We're going to talk about sort of some wisdom and uh, parting knowledge and just maybe how to navigate some of these waters. So uh, be on the lookout. We'd love to gather with you and help you make that life transition. Well, the reason I wanted you to think about that and it's maybe obvious because it's Easter and I'm a pastor, right? It's because the resurrection is that kind of a moment. It's that moment in history. It's a moment that changed everything for everyone. It altered reality for us, for all people. 
it's an instant. I want us to look at the lives of, of those that encountered the resurrection and in an instant where they went from deep despair to truly deep joy and hope. And that's what we're going to see this morning as we dig into our passage. Leading up to this, right, if you've been with us, you know through the season of Lent, we were looking at the book of Isaiah, right? The, and we were looking at segments of that book. Isaiah, uh, for those of you that weren't with us, uh, he's one of the most prolific uh, prophets in the Old Testament, right? Uh, he's calling Israel back to God, right? As, as exile is, is off in the distance and it's coming, uh, Isaiah is calling the people back to the Lord to covenant with him. Right? And, and Isaiah's book, uh, this, this chapters and chapters of prophecy, we have all of this hopeful image of the coming Messiah, the one that would truly be uh, what, uh, model what Israel had, was intended to do, the one that would bring the people back and specifically, we dug into the four servant songs, right? The, the servant of God image that Isaiah d- develops. The true servant that will carry out God's mission where the nation of Israel has failed, right? The servant that will be, uh, bring justice like they have failed to do so. The one that will uh, bring salvation to those around all nations like they have failed to do so. The one that will be obedient to God truly obedient, like they have failed to do so. And then finally, the one that would suffer, would suffer in our place to bring us back to God. All of this was leading up to Easter, right? All of this was leading to today, where we get to celebrate the servant of God. That he came and he brought justice through defeating sin, which had been holding us captive that he brought salvation to all people by atoning for our sins through his own blood, that he obeyed perfectly the plan he and the Father had laid out before the foundations of the earth to lay down his life for our sake, and that he suffered immensely on the cross on our behalf, just as Isaiah prophesied and laid out clearly in chapter 53. Yet that wasn't the end of the story, right? Because we're here on Sunday for a different story. We're here on Sunday because the story didn't end on the cross on Friday. No, it continued on Sunday, changed everything. See, just as Isaiah's message of the coming servant of God, it it offered hope to people facing exile, Israel facing exile, so too the resurrection brings hope to us sinners who have been exiled from God. It restores our relationship with him through the new life we have in Christ. Hope. That's what the resurrection gives us. It gives us hope. Hope that the the Lord's work will continue as it has always. And so that's our message this morning. Resurrection, the resurrection gives us expectations that carry us forward. It inspires us to action. The resurrection gives us living hope. Hope that moves us forward. Resurrection hope is living hope. That's what I want us to see this morning. That's what we're going to see in our passage our passage this morning, it's Luke 24, 13 through 35, a familiar story maybe many of you have read before. It's the, the road to Emmaus. Two of Jesus' disciples are on a road out of Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And on this, on this road, they're in the middle of a crisis of faith and a moment happens that changes everything for them. A moment that reshapes their reality. 
Before we get there, let me quickly summarize the events that led to this crisis of faith, faith for them, right? Many of you were with us on Friday night as we did this in our Good Friday service. We reflected on the events of uh, Thursday through Friday uh, in the life of Jesus and his followers. Let me try to uh, quickly walk through this just to kind of wrap our, our minds around what, why would these two be on the road back home in a crisis of faith? If you know the story or if you don't, you can follow along. I have some, some famous uh, um, images, uh, pieces of art throughout history that help uh, illustrate this. On Thursday, Jesus and his disciples, right? After Palm Sunday, they've come into Jerusalem. They're on Thursday. They're gathered in the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal. There, Jesus begins to baffle them. He begins, he sets his outer cloak aside, wraps a towel around himself, and he washes their feet, right? Their teacher, their leader, lowers himself to a position of servant. He sets down his power and authority and loves them. He serves them. He cares for them. He goes on to confuse them further. He, he predicts that one of them will betray him. He has the, 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 their, the Last Supper, the Passover meal, and, and he institutes the the uh, sacrament of communion. He takes the bread and the cup that, that were there, elements already present in the meal, and he says, this is my body and blood. Do this in remembrance of me. There's a somberness to this. He goes on and says, actually, and Peter, you are going to deny me. One of my closest friends are going to deny me. Later that night, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus is arrested as Judas completes his betrayal, leading a crowd to seize Jesus and bring him to the Jewish high priest to be questioned. Right, He's seized and, and he's brought before these officials. He's questioned, he, he's mocked, he's beaten during this time. Peter denies him three times. And with a, a punctuation in John's gospel, a rooster crows. Peter, you sense Peter's guilt and shame. On Friday morning, he's brought before the Jewish officials. He's accused, he's sent to two different Roman authorities where they find him innocent and no reason to suffer or be imprisoned or even put to death. So they offer to release him. And the Jewish authorities, they demand execution. They want his life. Crucify him, they shout. Mid-morning on Friday, Jesus is nailed to the cross to be crucified. He's placed between two thieves and the mocking of the people, the guards, and one of the thieves continues. In the face of excruciating pain and ridicule, Jesus prays for forgiveness of his Roman executioners and offers hope to one of the thieves. Around 3 p.m., the execution is complete, and in great pain and anguish, he breathes his last breath. And the Romans, they were experts in execution, and so they pierce his side into his lungs to see if indeed he's dead, and outflow blood and water indicating he's asphyxiated. His death is complete. The goal of crucifixion has been accomplished. Before the, the sun has set that day, his body is taken off the cross. It's wrapped in linen and placed in a newly constructed tomb, cut into stone. It's then sealed and a Roman guard placed before it to keep watch. A Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath, so the tomb was left as is, and the Roman guard still stationed there. Early Sunday morning, some of the women that followed Jesus went out to the tomb to bring spices and prepare his body for the final rest. They arrived to find the tomb open 
and nothing but the linen Jesus had been wrapped in. There, angels appear to them. And Luke tells us, one of my favorite Easter phrases, Luke tells us, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is risen. The word spreads to Jesus' followers and the women, that the women had found the tomb empty, that angels had said Jesus had risen from the dead. And as, as Jesus' followers hear this, they don't, they don't know what to do, what to make of it. Which, I mean, if we're honest, it's probably what all of us would think too. What, what are you supposed to make of this, right? How many people do you know that ro- rose from the dead? One, I, I can say. One, that's about it. Um, right? They, they saw Jesus dead. They saw him executed. His body was, was, there was no life in it. There's no question about that. He was wrapped and put in a tomb. Now the reports are that his body's gone. They don't even know where it is. He's alive even is what what they're told. I think I'd have my doubts. I think I'd be confused. I'd be wondering where he is. I'd like to see him and understand this. I might be like Thomas. I want to put my hands in his wounds to understand. I'd be scratching my head. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be worried, concerned? Not sure what to make of it. And that's where our passage begins. Two followers of Jesus stuck in this quandary. What is going on? Not sure what to make of it. They're on the road out of Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem. Why they're on this road, why are they on this road? Well, because it's over for them, right? Jesus is dead. The movement is over. Who are they going to follow now? He's gone. He was why they were there. So they're going home. They're going to return back to what they did. They're trying to make sense of it. They're, they're having a discussion along the way. Right? For them, on Thursday, they had come to Jerusalem with all the disciples. Or maybe on Palm Sunday they had. And then on Thursday, they were, they were with Jesus. And, and he was the great leader and he was going to change everything. And, and they expected this is the one that God had promised, the new king of Israel. And on Sunday, he's gone. They have no idea where he is. Can't even find his body. So they're headed back. They're headed back home. Going back to whatever they did before, Jesus, before they began following Jesus. Whatever, whatever is up in Emmaus, that's what they're going back to. And then we read that they're joined on their journey. They're joined by someone that they don't know. And as readers, we're given the insight that it's Jesus. So let's pick up. Let's read uh, starting in verse 13, Luke 24. I generally teach from the ESV that words will be on the screen as we work through this passage. That very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, the fact that they don't recognize it's Jesus is significant. It allows the rest of the story to unfold. We're told that they're kept from recognizing him. 
the true Jesus can, can be hard for us to see at times. And that's a theme actually all throughout Luke's gospel if you want to do a study of that theme. It's a, it's a fun study. People don't always see Jesus for who he is. Right? His teaching brings that more to light. His miracles bring that more to light. Divine revelation to the people brings it more to light of who Jesus is. Throughout Luke's gospel, you can see this more prominently than, than others. They, we need help seeing Jesus. We need help understanding who he is. And it's not just a theme in Luke's gospel because Luke put it there. It's a theme because that's a theme of humanity. That's a theme of our lives we need God to, to reveal himself, to, to explain, to, to show himself to us. We see that today, don't we, right? We see it in our lives. We see it in the lives of those around us. We, we hear people talk about, uh, you know, like testimonies at baptisms, how they, they came to see Jesus for who he was. Sometimes we hear people talking about Jesus and we wonder, are they talking about the same Jesus? Because I don't know if I know that Jesus. I'm not sure if, that Jesus I read or know wants me to do those things or say those things. Sometimes we just miss the, the, the work of Jesus in our lives, right? The, the ways that he's holding back evil that wants to devour us. Right? Or, or, or sometimes we miss all the things that he's orchestrating and bringing together. And, and we maybe fail to look back in hindsight and see it. You know, how he, how he gave us that job in that place with that coworker that needs to know about Jesus or moved us to that location where we then met those friends, met that spouse. So we can miss Jesus working in our lives in a lot of different ways. We don't have eyes to see it. And for these two on the road back home, their disbelief in Jesus rising from the dead, their conclusion to pack it up and go home that he wasn't who he th they thought he was, it clouds their vision. It doesn't, they don't have eyes to see Jesus standing right next to them, walking beside them. So their eyes are they're kept from seeing him, but maybe they're kept from seeing them, him because of their own beliefs, their own conclusions of who Jesus was or wasn't. See, sometimes we all, just like them, struggle to see Jesus walking right beside us. He's in the midst of it's in the midst of all that's going on, our distractions, our lack of sleep, our uh, you know, to-do lists, our stress, maybe our inaccurate beliefs of, of who Jesus is and what he's going to do for us, expectations of how he's going to provide or what it's going to look like. Right? The pain of disappointment. All kinds of different things can cloud our vision and prevent us from seeing Jesus. And we can lose hope. So you and I, I would suggest we're not all that different. I'm not all that different than these two followers walking back home. Maybe Jesus isn't who I thought he was, right? Hope lost. That's where they were at. Their hope crushed. We can fail, when we fail to see Jesus clearly, when we fail to see him walking beside us, our hope can be what we sacrifice. And that's what they lost, their hope. They're hoping Jesus. Hope, loss, and disappointment, that is where Jesus meets these two travelers. He meets them and then he engages right there. He asks questions and they respond. He explains things and, and why it had to go down this way. He 
he asks them and enters into their confusion and sadness. Let's read and see, see how this goes. Picking up in, in verse 17. And it's a little bit longer chunk this time. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Like they, they just stopped and looked at him. What did you just ask? <laughs> right? And they, they go on. Then one of them named Clopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had even, they had even seen angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman, women had said. But, he, he didn't, but they didn't see him. This is an interesting exchange, right? You almost feel their, their indignation. Are you kidding me? Were you not here last Sunday? <laughs> Did you not see him come into town and people yelling, Hosanna? How do you not know this news? You can feel the pain in their words as well, right? What they're leaving behind in Jerusalem has shaken their world apart. It's turned it upside down. And they can't believe this stranger has no idea. It's, it's monumental for them. How could it not have at least reached his ears? How could he not know what they're referring to? Right? They say, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Have you been living under a rock? How have you not heard about this? Then this is the biggest news of their lives. It's life transforming. It altered everything. Everyone must have known about this, right? Crushed hopes. Dreams destroyed. Right? That's, that's what we hear in their voice, in their words. Did you hear it? Did you hear the despair leap off the page, right? But we had hoped, but we had hoped. The gut-wrenching statement, but we had hoped that this would be the one that would redeem Israel. It's such a powerful statement. It's such an ironic statement, isn't it? The thing they had hoped for is in fact what had just transpired and they can't even see it. They're saying it to the one who had did it and they can't even see that. But they're blind, right? They're, they're, they don't have the eyes to see yet. They don't see that it's Jesus and they don't see what he's done. Just as they can't see Jesus clearly walking beside them, they can't clearly see what happened on the cross and it with the empty tomb. On the cross, Jesus was at work redeeming all of humanity. In our place, he atoned for our sins. All of Israel, all of humanity redeemed on the cross. God in human flesh endured the brutality of humanity on our behalf, in our place. Though innocent, he was punished. Though sinless, he bore our sins. 
though all-powerful, he submitted. He laid down his life for our, for our sake. And so for the followers of Jesus, watching the crucifixion, though, it was like watching their hope being nailed to the cross and die. And that's what these believers have experienced. But we had hoped such a gut-wrenching statement. We'd hoped to be different. How many times have you and I said those words, but I had hoped? Last night I was telling Amy, but I had hoped I'd get sleep tonight. <laughs> My daughter's struggling with sleep these days. We have a lot of sickness in our house too. <laughs> but I had hoped. Right. You know, maybe, maybe it's, it's less gut-wrenching for you, right? But I had hoped the Illini would be good this year. I hoped they would win. I hope they do better in the, turn, in the tournament, right? But I'd hope it'd be warmer today. I'd say that a lot at this time of year. But I had hoped October wouldn't be so miserable like it always is. Right? We can talk about that later if, if I offended you. <laughs> right? But I hoped that he or she would ask me that they would be the one that they say yes to a date but I'd hope that I'd get that job, but I'd hope that I'd get into that grad school. But I had hoped. Our lives are punctuated by hope lost or hope not fulfilled. And that's where these, these two believers are at. In our moments of hope lost and dreams destroyed, Jesus is still there, walking beside us. He hasn't left, just as he was with them. In our disappointment, Jesus is near. Whether you can see him or not, trust that Jesus is near. In your heartache, in your dashed hopes, Jesus is walking beside you. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And in fact, he was. And Jesus goes on to explain that he was. Let's pick back up in our passage. We're going to see this as Jesus illuminates the scriptures to them. The passage continues. We learn that Jesus walked with them and he explained the scriptures to them, all the scripture that pointed to why this had to happen. It says the prophecies concerning himself, why he had to suffer before he was to be glorified and come into his kingdom. So let's read, picking up in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he began interpreting to them all the scriptures and things concerning himself. In response to their confusion and the lost hope, Jesus tells them it had to go down this way. It was always planned this way. It was always foretold to happen this way. You've just missed it. The Messiah had to suffer to be glorified. The suffering servant brings forth the kingdom of God, just as we've been seeing as we studied Isaiah. Right, we, we read that Jesus interpreted all the scriptures for them. He explained them to him. He opened up the meaning of the scriptures to them. Right? He, he probably went to Isaiah 61 and showed them its proclamation of deliverance and how he fulfilled that. Right, Or to Isaiah 53 and showed them how he was the suffering servant Isaiah saw. Maybe he went to Daniel 7 to the picture of the Son of Man coming on the clouds to have dominion over all of creation. Maybe he went to 2 Samuel 7 where God told David 
the Messiah would come from his line and how Jesus was from the line of David, the new king like David, a greater David. Whatever passages he took them to, and I'm sure he took them to all of them, the message is clear. Jesus is the prophet like Moses who mediates for the people and gives instructions for godly living. He is the son of David, the rightful king over God's people. He is the suffering servant who endured so we don't have to. He is the Messiah who redeemed God's people. He's the son of man given dominion over the earth. What a fascinating Bible study it would have been, right? To listen to Jesus explain all the things, the things that we scratch our heads still at, that we only have vision because we have hindsight. To sit with the author of creation, the author of the Bible, and explain it to you, to unpack it. It's a picture of heaven in my mind. As Jesus opens up the scriptures to them, they begin to understand who he really is, what he had to endure. They study the scriptures together. They grow in their understanding and knowledge of Jesus. Their vision is getting corrected. He's writing their prescription. And you, are, you and I, we're just like them. As we study the scriptures together, as we encounter Jesus and grow in our understanding and knowledge of Jesus, our vision gets clearer. We get to see him more clearly. God has revealed himself to us in the person and works of Jesus. And the scriptures, they capture that revelation. The scriptures are our corrective prescription for our vision problem. They help us see Jesus. So when we struggle to see Jesus, we need to turn to scripture to renew our minds and grow in our understanding of him. Let's keep going. Our travelers, they're so enthralled by their time with this stranger that they, they don't want the conversation to end. They want the Bible study to continue. Keep talking with us, right? So as they approach Emmaus, they beg him to stay with them and continue their conversation. Jesus joins them for a meal and his identity is ultimately revealed. Let's read. Picking up back in 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in and to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. It's Jesus, it's the risen Christ. It's, it's who it's been all along, right? He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it out just as he did at the Last Supper, just as he did when he fed the masses, just as he's going to do with the disciples next. At that moment, it clicks for them. Their vision is restored. It's brought into full view. See, when they see Jesus doing what he's already done before, their eyes are opened. He's revealed for who he is. They understand Jesus' actions reveal the truth of who he is here in this moment with them. Their eyes are restored. So he explained to them as he walked along the way, and then he demonstrates who he was as the one who conquered death and rose from the grave. The one who's been feeding through bread and using the symbol all along. As, as Jesus' work is revealed in our own lives, we see him more clearly, right? And we understand him. When we see that we are freed from the chains of addiction, we understand what it means that Jesus set captives free, that God called his people out of slavery. 
When we experience grace and love from, from uh, those in our community, we understand God's grace and love towards us. When we experience forgiveness from one another and practice it, we understand God's forgiveness in our own lives. When we experience the things of God, it helps us see God more clearly. When we struggle to see Jesus, we can reflect back on his work in our lives and the ways that he's put those defining moments that shaped us and changed us. And we get to see him more clearly. What he's done in our lives and in the lives of those around us, when we see that, it reveals Jesus more clearly for us. It corrects our vision further. So we study scripture and we reflect on Jesus in our lives to see him more clearly. So, as we, as we wrap up the end of our passage, as Jesus is revealed, they, as they realize who he is, their hope is restored. And in, in, a, in a moment of excitement, they're moved. They, they run back to Jerusalem practically. The mission and community of Jesus followers, they have to be back there because it all is true. It, it, it's still going on. It changed everything. So let's read the end of our passage and see how they respond, knowing who Jesus is now. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Their despair becomes delight as the truth about Jesus' resurrection begins to sink in. Jesus, alive, changes everything. Breaking bread with Jesus transformed them and restored their hope. As their hope is restored, the reality of the resurrection sinks in. They spring up from the table and they hurry back to Jerusalem. That's the power of the resurrection. It gets us up out of our seats and moves us forward. It requires a response. It moves us to respond. It's not just something we study intellectually. It moves us to action. Because resurrection hope moves us. It changes our perspective of reality. Resurrection hope is living hope. It's actionable hope. Hope that pulls us forward, that moves us to tomorrow and beyond. To tell others about Jesus. To gather as the body and reflect just as these two did. For our two travelers, the resurrection was a game changer. The passage says they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. The journey that took us 20 verses to get to Emmaus and to see Jesus is undone in one verse, right? Literally, it feels like they're sprinting back there, right? It's taken them all day to get to Emmaus, the seven miles, and now they're running back, right? Probably can do it in about an hour, maybe maybe two if they're speed walking. Um, that's the power of the resurrection though, right? They're, they hurry back to Jerusalem. There's something to get back to. There's excitement. The resurrection makes all the difference. It means Jesus conquered the grave. It means he was dead, laid in a tomb, fully dead, and then he wasn't. God raised him to new life. And that same power is in us as followers of Jesus. As those who have placed their faith in Jesus, we have been raised to new life. We were dead in our sins and we have been raised to new life. That's the symbol of baptism. That's why we want to do that here at the end of the year. We die to ourselves and we rise to new life with Christ. So we go under the water and come back up.
See, new life, new life in Christ, it's marked by living hope. It carries us forward. It's hope that moves us, life-transforming hope. And so on Sunday morning, over 2,000 years ago, a tomb was found empty, and a group of religious followers were in despair, scratching their head, wondering, what next? Did we miss it? What did we not understand? With confusion and lost hope, some returned to their previous life, convinced it was all over, that it was done. They thought Jesus wasn't who he had hoped, they had hoped he was. But then, but then the resurrection, right? It changed everything. It changed everything for the disciples. It changed everything for us. It restored their hope and faith in Jesus and it, and it builds our hope and faith in Jesus. It brings into focus all that Jesus taught and did. It clarifies all that Jesus has done in our lives. It opens eyes to who Jesus is. At the resurrection, reality was altered forever. It's a moment that changed everything for us just as it did for them. It's the instant where deep despair turns to joyful hope. It's the moment where Jesus proved he was who he said he was. It's the moment that opened our eyes, their eyes, to the truth of Jesus as our God and King. And so when we have a clear view of who Jesus is, through our study of scripture and encountering the risen Christ through his work in our lives, our hope it's restored and it's placed firmly on the true savior. We can see him walking beside us on the road. Our restored hope becomes a living hope, a motivating force that, that awaits the completion of our salvation of, in the final days when, when Christ will return and bring his kingdom in full. In the resurrection, we go from, but we had hoped to living hope, to people of hope that are carried forward. Through the resurrection, we are raised to new life and await the completion of our salvation in the final days. Our hope is inaugurated now and it will be completed later when Jesus will one day return and finish the restoration of all things and his kingdom will be here in fullness. Let us celebrate the resurrection today. Let's continue to reflect and talk about it and in the same moment as we cel- in the same breath as we celebrate the resurrection let's pray for Jesus return come lord jesus come again clear our vision let us see you fully we pray with me